I think great storytellers often sit down, they plan, they write notes. It looks effortless, but a huge amount of pre-thought and effort has actually gone into it. Welcome to episode number 56 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. Today, we've got Andy Perkins joining us. Andy is founder of Juno Creations, former global head of the Kaplan Performance Academy, and was also commercial director for IDG. Thank you so much for being here, Andy. It's a real pleasure, Andy. Looking forward to it. Yes, uh, and for full disclosure for our audience, uh, Andy and I have worked together in a number of uh, capacities in, in the past, and I'm just thrilled to have Andy on as our third guest in our mini-series on organizational communication. Uh, thus far in this series, we've heard from a former news anchor, uh, we've heard from a PR specialist, and now we're gonna drill into one of the key skills that's necessary for effective communication, and that is storytelling. And I can't think of anybody uh, on the planet who's going to uh, help us think through that more better than, uh, than, than you, Andy. But before we get started, it'd be great if you told our listeners your story. Thanks, Andy. Um, well, I'm, I'm a reformed accountant. Um, I uh, have probably been in the learning uh, sector for uh, probably more than 35 years, actually. And uh, I've had a whole variety of different experiences from building, selling uh, global leadership programs to working in Kaplan twice, um, and also to running a business, as you said, called IDG, where we work particularly in the Middle East. But I was lucky enough to actually have an office at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst. Um, In fact, Andy... When you talked about us working together, I just looked at the date, and I think we're almost on our 20th anniversary this year. So uh, it's been quite a good journey with you into Kaplan and uh, and now with you here. Yes, uh, it has been uh, quite quite the journey, and yes, two uh, two two decades, uh, absolutely. We 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 got our start in the in the CFA uh, education business. Yes, uh, we did. Back- yeah. Back at the turn of the century. So, uh, Andy, if you had to pick one event in your life that was just a, a real accelerant for your career, put rocket boosters uh, <clears throat> underneath you, uh, what would that be? Oh, I don't know. I, I thought about this question, and, and there's so many examples of where I've been, you know, almost in awe of somebody. Um, there was one partner in BDO. Um, who I was particularly taken by, a chap called John Piper, who has sadly died now. And I remember him saying to me, so Perkins, you want a job, do you? And I said, actually, no, I haven't come for a job. And he said, what do you mean you haven't come for a job? And I said, no, no, I, I actually just wanted to ask you some advice. Anyway, he asked me how much I earned. And I think I was earning the princely sum of £5,000 a year, which he thought was ludicrous. And he offered me £4,000 and I accepted the job. And it was just because of his inspiration. However, if you don't mind me just taking a little bit more time, Andy, there is one man who really did inspire me. And that happened in 2002. 
And it's something that someone who you know very well indeed. Um, we, I was working for a company called The Financial Training Company. Um, we had just been acquired by Kaplan. I think it was November two, 2003. And the uh, chairman of Graham Holdings came to visit us. Graham Holdings was the overall owner of Kaplan, a guy called Don Graham. And he came into uh, part of the business that I was running. And he was such a nice chap and so memorable. But he said to me, he said, Andy, ask me any question that you like. And I said, okay. I said, what is the most challenging, most memorable leadership moment of your career? And he said, I'll answer that in a slightly different way. I'm going to tell you about my mother. And I'm going to say to you that one day my mother had to make a leadership decision. And she knew that if she was wrong, we would lose our family business. But if she was right, we could lose our country. And that was the decision as to whether or not to proceed with the Watergate investigation. Mm. And he said, you know, that took so much courage to make that decision. She couldn't shirk it. She couldn't delegate it. She had to make the decision herself. And that story is always stuck in my mind. Uh, I'll remember it. It was so inspirational. Yeah, for our listeners who are uh, not aware, the, uh, Andy is talking about Catherine Graham, uh, the the. Uh, the great Catherine, Catherine Graham, uh, Don's mother, uh, just so inspirational. There's a, there's a, a very long read, but a very important read, uh, nonetheless, uh, on, on Kath, uh, Catherine Graham that I encourage everybody to do, uh, to engage in. So thank you for that. Uh, let's dive into our conversation on communication. Um, let's start with can you recall an experience in your career where you thought you just had an unassailable, crystal clear message, only to find out later that the intended message was not received or was wildly misunderstood? What can we all learn from that experience? I can tell you one which you are very closely aligned to. Um, <laughs> when I came back to Kaplan in 2015, I was asked to revitalize part of the business um, which was all around uh, corporate and management training. And we called this leadership and professional development. And it was my idea and objective to interweave with technical training behavioral development. And so I remember talking about this, doing presentations on this, and saying, we need to be able to train people in a holistic way and we need to look at both technical competence and behavioral confidence. I probably preached this message so many times. I thought I was clear. I thought I was you know, very on the money. And over and over again, people just didn't get it. You know, I had technical people coming up to me saying, does this mean our job is, is under threat? I was going, no, listen, it is about behavioral confidence and technical competence. Other people were saying, oh, soft skills, wishy-washy. And I must admit, and as you know, Andy, 
you know, I, I, I did present that message and it was misunderstood over and over again. And uh, I still think some people misunderstand it today. Well, thank you for that. You know, I think the logical place to go in our conversation next is, uh, you know, we're here to talk about storytelling. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, you're, you're the right guy to talk to us about this. But what is storytelling? Well, if you look at storytelling in its purest form, Andy, you can actually track it back to probably 30, 40,000 years ago. You can look at some of the caves in southern France, which used to be inhabited by the Cro-Magnon, and you can see extraordinary cave paintings which told stories. I think in a modern context, we're brought up on stories. You know, our bedtime stories still probably are remembered by all of us. But in leadership and in business, I think stories have a fantastic place. You know, I think they can be used for the vivid description of ideas, of values, of beliefs. I think they can bring to life quite tricky and difficult um, ideas, which I think can be um, constructed into a story which makes them much more accessible to everybody. Yeah, if uh, that's a great description. If you had, uh, so now let's suppose you had a new manager sitting right in front of you. How would you describe the role of storytelling in their work as a manager? Uh, I, I like this question. I think I would explain to them that it is about inspiration, motivation, and to make things visible to the listener. Yeah, that, that, you know, I, I, I like to uh, think that, you know, coaching is a big part of a, of, of a manager's job. And a lot of managers don't uh, think about coaching as a big part of their job. And as, as a coach, uh, you know, you're, you're there to listen and obviously uh, el elicit uh, a, a conversation. Uh, but, the, you know, the role of storytelling uh, in, in a manager's standard work uh, cannot be underestimated. Um, if we drill in just a little bit deeper, uh, what other skills uh, does an individual need to hone to build their storytelling skills? Are we really talking about a toolkit of skills? Yeah, I think so. I think sometimes storytelling can drift into almost personal heroism. Um, and I think you need to really be careful to tell great stor stories which are there to help others not to beef you up. I think if I was going to list down the key skills, I think, or the, or my, or the key pieces of my advice, I think you need to choose a clear central message. You know, what is the message that you are trying to convey? I think you need to have a very clear structure. I mean, often people tell stories which seem to be off the cuff, but the greatest storytellers have actually um, planned and constructed the story first in their mind. So have a clear structure. I think you need to use your personal experiences to make it, to make it you know, feel real. But as I said earlier, you need to avoid this heroism. It's not about me, me, me. The story is about helping other people around you. 
be enthusiastic. You know, stories which are told in a, in a dead monotone just aren't remembered. You need to be enthusiastic, you need to be lively, you need to live your story. Be authentic. You know, try and be as real and as authentic as possible. Read your audience. Look at your audience. Try and think, what are you thinking about this? And the very last bit is have a strong ending. If you think of parables or Aesop's fable, you always remember the ending. So make sure you have a strong ending. ending. Yeah, the, those are those are wonderful, wonderful tips. Uh, before we uh, break for just a little bitty commercial here, I want to go off script just a, just a tad. Uh, you and I are uh, have talked a long time about the importance of financial modeling and uh, and the numbers uh, in in a story. Uh, can can you just talk a little bit about how the numbers, uh, which is the language of business, uh, interact with uh, with with the concept of storytelling? I think stories need to have substance. And they need to be anchored in reality. And I think you can use modeling, if you like, to bring the numbers to life. I think a flat spreadsheet can lose people. But a, a, a model with narrative, and if it's presented in an enthusiastic way, is, makes it very compelling. Rather than it just being words, nice words, warm words, you add in those numbers through the model and people can actually see where you're starting, where you're going, and where you're going to end up. You know, we have a great friend of ours called Ian Schnorr, and, and he's probably one of the best financial modeling storytellers that I know. Yeah, just that's just a little plug for the Financial Modeling Institute uh, that's run by Ian Schnoor that we're uh, that that we we're, we're both engaged in. So thank you for that, uh, Andy. Communication typically ranks in the top ten on many lists for skills of the future. Uh, as a leader in the L and D space, what advice do you have for our listeners to improve their communication skills? Are there any specific tools or programs that you'd recommend? I think they need to practice. I think everyone thinks they're a good storyteller. Yeah. And, and, and I just don't believe that it is as intuitive as people think it is. I think great storytellers often sit down, they plan, they write notes. It looks effortless, but a huge amount of pre-thought and effort has actually gone into it. You know, I, th I think I'd I would run some of the points I've said already. Again, you know, that clear message and a clear purpose is essential. Um, I think that you need to try and stand in your audience's shoes. Is this boring? Is it too long? You know, am I living the story? Does the story have any relevance to the people who are listening to it? And I also think that when you're telling a story. It's not just about one-way communication. I think you have to know when to shut up and when to listen. And I think you can make the story much more interactive, if you like, if you have that discipline to deliver something which is interesting and memorable and relevant, but you practice it in a way that grabs your audience 
and keeps their attention. Yeah, one of the things that I really appreciated about working with you uh, is that, uh, you know, I, I'm much more of an off-the-cuff uh, storyteller. And, uh, y- you know, y- you taught me about uh, practice. And, you know, and, and it's so odd for me to say that because I'm a musician as well. And we practice, 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 practice uh, before we get up on stage and tell our story through music. But as a business person, uh, I, I didn't do that. I just got up and started talking. So I would get caught in many of those traps uh, that you've uh, uh, alluded to in, in this conversation already, you know, talking more about myself, uh, not relating to uh, to the audience, not opening my ears and listening uh, so, you know, thank, you know, thank you for teaching me about the value of practicing and especially, uh, you know, how, when, when we're going out commercially and talking yeah. to, to other companies and doing a dry run through, yeah. uh, any, anything you can add for our listeners there? Yeah, I, I do think the storytelling and pitching, um, are, absolutely essential relations or brothers or sisters, if you like. I think that if you're going to do a good pitch, it has to have a good, what I would call a storyboard. Um, And I think that if you're trying to do collective storytelling, a bit like storytelling in a choir, then you do need to have that practice so that there may be two or three people all telling different parts of the story. And so therefore the chemistry has to be right, the handover has to be right. You know, everything has to not just look joined up, it has to be joined up. And I think if you do tell stories, good stories, believable stories, real stories, in moments like pitching, you can really stand out from your competition. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, many leaders uh, ignore building communication skills in their teams. And uh, I, I was one of them. This is now a couple of decades ago uh, because I, I did I did this as well. I made the erroneous assumption that everybody already knows how to communicate. Uh, I now know this is a false narrative, but why is communication so hard? Ah, oh, goodness gracious. I think if I knew that, Andy... My goodness, I, I don't know. I, 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 I think over the years, um, I have come to understand more and more about my ego and probably other people's egos. I think all of us have a different hinterland of experience. It could be because of our gender, our sexuality, our ethnicity, religion, could be about our personal goals, our personal needs, our own personal dreams. And I think all of these go into a melting point, into a melting pot, which can inhibit self-confidence, self-expression. So that some people who are naturally noisy dominate. Others who are more circumspect and possibly more thoughtful often keep their ideas and opinions to themselves. And I think, you know, it is, it is so important not just to say, oh, you know, 
everyone has the opportunity to talk. You need to actually encourage it. You need to give space to people to communicate. You need to encourage communication. And also, you need to allow some communication which maybe doesn't fit in with your own ideas. So instead of squashing something, you need to let it breathe. Yeah. That uh, this uh, concept of psychological safety and creating that environment where uh, especially people uh, like me uh, who uh, I do, I do keep my opinions to myself. I do. I am, uh, I am uh, more quiet. You, you know, some people might get the erroneous assumption that since he's a podcaster that he, you know, Andy Tempty is just out there talking to everybody. And the answer to that is no, <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy in the room that's thinking very carefully, hopefully, hopefully listening to what other people have to say. Uh, but uh, I also get in my own way uh, mentally and I need uh, an environment of psych. I, I've, I've learned now that I need that environment of psychological safety because if I don't feel safe in that environment, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going to weigh in. So thank, Andy, thank you. Andy, how, how does someone get you to talk? You know, I've seen you in meetings. And I, I often look at you and I think, bloody hell, that's, you're, you're doing such a good job. But I've also seen you be quite quiet and, you know, introspective. What, what, what is it that someone can do, apart from just saying this is a safe environment, what can they actually do to help you feel able to speak your opinions? Yeah, it's, uh, it's that uh, relative uh, to psychological safety, which is just to take an interest. Um, uh, you know, so uh, during my career, at least, Especially as uh, as a senior leader, um, the it 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 almost it almost goes without saying that uh, you know that uh, oh every everybody pays all their attention to him he doesn't need any more he doesn't need any more attention uh, but that's not necessarily the case I I need to for me as an introvert uh, to and and someone who's painfully shy to open up. I need to know that that there's at least some uh, level of interest uh, on the on the other side uh, of the conversation. So if I see uh, somebody totally shut down and they're only interested in themselves and are, aren't uh, aren't aren't going to even feign to be interested in in what I have to say, then yes, the the clam doors shut even mm. uh, e even tighter. So that's something that I've had to learn to pass on uh, to other people is to you know tilt my head to the side a little bit, give a little body language that uh, that indicates that I'm that I'm interested and that I'm present and that I'm yeah. there yeah. Uh, in in that in that conversation. So if uh, you know, to specifically answer your question, when I feel that presence yep. uh, on the other side, then I'm much more uh, apt to uh, give more of myself uh, to to that conversation. Mm, it's interesting. It's interesting how you talk about body language. I would add in eye contact. Uh, everything that evidences that that sense of presence is really important. 
Yeah. Uh, my biggest nemesis has been eye contact uh, throughout my life. Uh, and that's this crushing uh, introversion uh, because once you lock eyes with somebody, all of a sudden a whole other world uh, opens up and, and that world can be uh, wonderful. And that world can also be uh, very scary uh, yeah. for, for some. So yeah, giving of yourself through uh, eye contact, not creepy eye contact, but, you know, open, I care for you. I'm here. I'm present. Uh, I, that, that's, uh, that's super important. Yeah. I so, agree with you. Andy, let's, let's finish here. Uh, if you have a school leaver or what we in the United States would call a high school grad uh, or a new university graduate who's looking to land a job and find success as a manager or leader of teams, what advice uh, do, do you give them? <clears throat> I would say that you should always have a very clear purpose, what are you trying to achieve? Probably in every part of your job. I would then say you need to look into a mirror and be very honest with what you see. Be self-aware and try and see yourself as others do. Something which I learned from my time when I was running IDG and we were at Sandhurst, was part of military leadership. And that is about understanding what it's, understanding that being a good follower is even more important than being a good leader. I think sometimes, you know, I've seen you, Andy, be a great leader at one part of the day and then have to be a really good follower in the other part of your day as you conducted yourself with the Kaplan Inc. board. And I think great, great people I've met are able to flip between great follower and great leader with ease. I think the cap badge at the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst is interesting. It says, serve to lead. And I think that's a really good motto. I think I would also say, Talk with value. And what I mean by that is talk good stuff, not just noise. Now, noisy leaders, noisy managers aren't necessarily the best ones. In fact, they're often not. We've talked about this earlier, the power of listening. Listen, 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 and listen again. Something which you and I hold very dear is commercial authenticity. I think that if you're going to succeed, you need to be financially literate, one point, and very, very commercially savvy. They are different. And I think that commercial authenticity is really important for success. Never sweeten the pill. Tell it as it is. Be honest. Stand in other people's shoes and try to look at things through their eyes. Never shy away from constructive conflict. Constructive conflict is not about personal insults or shouting. It's about creative disagreement. It's really, really useful and can create some fantastic outcomes. Delegate and trust in others. 
something I have always found really, really difficult. It's a great weakness of mine. And the final thing to remember is tell great stories like Don Graham. Yeah. Well, Andy, it's always uh, so much fun to uh, to get together with you. I, I find uh, I get so much value from uh, from all of our our interactions. I've learned from you. Uh, I, I hope that our listeners have uh, have done the same today. Uh, so thank you uh, so much uh, for for being here. Uh, my name is Andrew Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on all the major uh, podcasting services. Please like, subscribe, and rate. And we will see you next time.